When Jesus hung on the cross, on either side of him, there hung two other men. Both of them were criminals. Both of them were deserving of death. And as death was imminently before these men, they had very different reactions, very different responses to the imminent end of their life. Luke's gospel tells us that one of the criminals railed against Jesus, which presents this picture, in my mind at least, of someone who deeply hates someone, who's angry, who's, who's trying to get at that person. I, I picture the criminal on the cross, his hands and his feet nailed in place, railing against his bonds, trying to get at Jesus. It's this picture of anger and this picture of animosity. Meanwhile, Luke's account tells us of another criminal whose response is quite a different picture. Luke 23, verse 40 to 42 says, But the other rebuked him. He rebuked the one who was railing against Jesus, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Both of these men faced imminent death. But one railed against Jesus while one pleaded with Jesus to show him mercy. Why were these responses so different as both of the men faced the last hours or maybe minutes of their lives? Why was one consumed with hatred and venom and the other one humbly accepted his fate and sought mercy in the midst of it? And the insightful question from the one criminal to the other criminal gives us the answer. The criminal asks the one railing against Jesus, do you not fear God? And therein lies the answer to why their responses were starkly different. The one who railed had no fear of the Lord. The one who sought mercy, who pleaded with Jesus, had a fear of God. And to the one who did fear the Lord, Jesus responded positively to his plea. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This morning, we're going to look at the fate of another man who, like the criminals were, were, who, that were crucified with Jesus, he faced imminent death. And like the criminals, he was guilty and he was deserving of his fate. And we're going to see what his reaction was to his imminent de demise. And, and more importantly than that, we're going to see what God's response was to him. I've entitled this, this message this morning, Call Out to the Lord in Your Distress. And my hope is that it will be equally impactful for you, regardless of whether you have walked with Jesus for years or maybe decades, or, or whether you're here today and you would earnestly say, I don't know Jesus, I don't have faith in him. 
The reality is that for the follower of Jesus and the one who would not consider yourself a follower of Christ, I hope that you will see this morning that the only thing that makes sense for human beings who are created in the image of God is to cry out to the one who created us, seeking mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, for your presence here. We know that you are with us. And Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty work as we pray every Sunday, Lord. May your Spirit work in the hearts of people. God, as we look into your word today, teach us about who you are. Teach us about ourselves. Teach us a great need for your mercy. Show us your love in a fresh way this morning, Lord. God, we pray that you make us more into the image of your Son. Father, we pray that you do your work. Or else, why are we here, Lord? Come, dwell with your people. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're returning this morning, spoiler alert, to Jonah. We're returning this morning to our series through the book of Jonah. And we we began this series before Easter. And today we find ourselves in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. And chapter 2 has a very different feel to it than chapter 1 because... The writing shifts from this action narrative that's, that's full of hecticness and activity in chapter 1, and then to a reflective psalm, which Jonah prays to the Lord in chapter 2. The, the pace of chapter 1 gives way to this, this sudden pause, as Jonah has time to reflect on his situation, and, and maybe even his attitude, as well as God's role in the events of chapter one. And so to quickly recap chapter one for you and what we covered so far, Jonah is a prophet of God who lived and prophesied during the reign of King Jeroboam II. It was a time of prosperity and a time of peace for Israel, but it was a peace that hung precariously in the balance as the strength of the nation of Assyria increased and therefore the threat of invasion from them also increased. And as a a prophet of God, Jonah was given a very unique assignment from the Lord. Normally, God would raise up his prophets to speak to his own people, Israel. But he raised up Jonah and sent him to the nation of Assyria in order to declare to them that God knew their evil and there would be dire consequences if they did not turn from their evil ways. Now, I spoke in weeks past about how evil Assyria actually was. You can go back and listen to them. You can do some research on your own. But they have a reputation of being one of the most brutal nations in the ancient world. And in addition to this, they were also enemies of Israel and were the biggest threat against the sovereignty of the nation of Israel. And so you can imagine that when God gave Jonah this this assignment, this prophet from Israel, go to Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria, go to them and cry out against their evil ways. Jonah had some reservations. One of those reservations was likely that Jonah was thinking, okay, what are the chances that a prophet from Israel will be accepted by a pagan nation who 
are enemies of Israel and don't recognize Israel's God, Yahweh. Yahweh is not a God that the Assyrians worship. So why would they listen to Yahweh's prophet? You see, taking only natural factors into account, the likeliness of Jonah's success on this mission were exceptionally low. He probably thought, you know, there's no way that they're going to listen to me. And more likely than that, they're going to kill me. And isn't that kind of the similar mindset that too many followers of Jesus have about the impact that we can have on the world? I don't think that we can judge Jonah for his concerns because we often live with this kind of lack of faith that's, that's driving Jonah here. Right? We, we look upon a world that vastly denies God and denies the truth of Christ. And we often have this defeatist mindset like Jonah. Or, or we focus too much on natural things or natural solutions like politics as though that's going to solve all of the problems in the world. Because we give far too much power to what we see in the natural. We think exactly what Jonah thought. What are the chances that a Christian will have any influence over an individual or a community or a nation who doesn't recognize God? We discount ourselves from, from going to those who don't know Christ because in the natural, we only see our weaknesses and all the reasons why people won't listen to our testimony. The problem with this is it keeps us from living out exactly what Jesus called us to live out when he told us to go. And not stepping into it, we're doing more than discounting just ourselves, we're discounting God. As though he is not going to be faithful and help us in the mission that he has given us. Jonah forgot and we forget the one whom we serve. Let's be honest, we forget the one whom we serve. We, we, we stared into the reality of the one who we served last week on Easter. We celebrated our risen King. We celebrated what Easter Sunday means, that it declares that Jesus Christ, the risen King, is the King of all the earth. The one who has all authority over everything and everyone. And not just authority on earth, but in heaven as well. And so for those who are keeping track, that's everything. He has authority over everything. And this is the God who is with us. And this is the God who was with Jonah when he gave him a mission that in the natural looked impossible. Jonah was focused on what he could see rather than what God could do. And so often followers of Christ live by sight rather than by faith. And so because of that mindset, along with Many other major reasons that we've looked at in previous weeks in this series on Jonah, including the fact that Jonah, he just hated the Assyrians. He didn't want to go to them. They were enemies of Israel, and he was this pro-nationalist. The fact that he was a Hebrew was the most important thing about him, and he looked down on others and down on others' nations. And he ultimately didn't want God's mercy extended beyond his own people. He didn't understand the free mercy of God, that it wasn't just for Israel. He misunderstood that Israel was blessed by God in order to be a blessing to other nations. Just like followers of Christ, 
We are blessed by God. We are called to be salt and light in the world. We're not to sit and hoard the blessings of God. We're to pour them out on the world to other people who don't know this Jesus. And so when God gave Jonah this assignment, he ran away. And he tried to flee the presence of the Lord. And he jumped on a ship to Tarshish. And we know how well that went for Jonah. Not well. As soon as the ship left the dock, God threw a strong wind at the ship. He hurled a storm at the ship. He, was, he, he brought the sick ship to the point where it was almost sinking. It was about to kill everyone on board. And it was all a result of Jonah's disobedience. And we know that the storm was bad, right? The men on the ship who were experienced sailors, they were terrified for their lives. And when they realized that the storm was caused by Jonah, who was running from the presence of his God, the sailors plead with him, what do we do? How do we get out of this situation? How do we save ourselves? And Jonah resignedly comes to the conclusion that they needed to throw him overboard in order to save their lives and satisfy God's wrath against Jonah. We talked about how Jonah is a type of Christ, though very imperfectly. He's a type of of Jesus, revealing a picture of what Christ would accomplish on the cross in sacrificing himself for sinners. And so that's where we left off before Easter. And that's where we find ourselves this morning as we look in chapter 2. Jonah has been thrown overboard. The winds and the waves have calmed for the sailors. They're no longer in danger. But Jonah finds himself in the heart of the sea. Jonah is in grave danger. Jonah's life may be coming to an end very quickly. And we don't know how long Jonah struggled in the sea. We don't know how long he was treading water trying to keep his head above water. But we do know that it was the Lord that saved him from his situation. Because Jonah 1.17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's so important. The Lord appointed a great fish. And that fish meant salvation for Jonah. A salvation that was entirely undeserved and entirely in God's hands. Chapter 2 picks up the story after this has happened. After Jonah was rescued by God, when he's sitting in the belly of the fish during his three days and three nights. And again, we can immediately see the parallels between Jesus's time of his death and resurrection that's being alluded to here with the reference of three days and three nights. And during this time, you can imagine Jonah had a lot of opportunity to reflect. Don't know if you've ever spent any time in the belly of a fish. I don't think there's a lot to do in there. Not much to do. You hope maybe it like swallowed a game or something, a board game. I don't know. But he had lots of opportunity to think after the chaos that had ensued up to this. And in his time of reflection, it seems in his prayer that Jonah comes to some realizations. So let's look at this prayer and see what we can learn about it. And remember as we go through it, This is Jonah looking back on what had just happened when the Lord saved him from the water. And I want to focus primarily on verses 2 
and verses 7 because they capture the heart of Jonah's prayer. And then I'll fill in the story with the other verses. Jonah 2, verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Peter Craigie, he points out that the narrative of Jonah up to this point depicts Jonah in this consistent descent. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. And now he goes down into the depths of the ocean in the belly of a fish. And it was from the depths of this descent that he remembers And he calls out to the Lord in his distress. He says, when my life was fainting away, that's when I remembered. That's when I called out to the Lord. And it's so significant because up until this point, Jonah had not acknowledged God. At no point in the book of Jonah does it show that Jonah acknowledges the Lord before this He was trying everything he could to run from his presence and not acknowledge him. And so the question that we have to ask is, why now? Why does he suddenly remember and lift his voice up to the Lord? And I'll tell you, it's the same reason why 12 years ago I was finally willing to go to church, even though I didn't want to. Gosh, I didn't want to be there. But I was willing to go. It's because he realized, I got nowhere else to go. I got nobody else to turn to. Like literally, he's in a fish in the sea. There's nowhere else to go. Jonah had been rebellious. He'd been disobedient to the Lord. And it caused him to hit rock bottom. He couldn't sink any lower, literally and figuratively. He came to the end of himself and he was utterly broken. Just look how Jonah describes his situation. It looks hopeless. He says, I was in the belly of Sheol. Sheol is is the Hebrew word for our version of hell. I was in the belly of hell. I was in the deep. In the heart of the seas, the flood surrounded me. Waves and billows passed over me. Verse 5 and 6, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. My life was in the pit. Jonah had hit rock bottom. And I'll tell you, there were two reasons why Jonah fell as far as he fell. And they're starkly in contrast with one another. And they're a great lesson for you and I this morning. 
The first reason he finds himself at rock bottom is because he put himself there. Through his choices, his rebellion, his rejection of God, his pride, his arrogance, it was his sin that brought him low. And I would say, not universally, but it is vastly true that when you or I are brought low, when we hit rock bottom, we are to blame. Not someone else. Our choices. Our rebellion. Our arrogance. Our pride. Our whatever you want to fill in the blank there. And it's because of sin. You know, one of the dangers of the society that we live in is, is we live in this society where we become believing that it's everybody else's problem. Everybody else is to blame for what's going on with me. It's always someone else's fault. But the biblical worldview is not that that person is guilty. The biblical worldview is that I'm guilty as much as anybody else. My sin is a big deal. So big that Jesus had to die on the cross for me. Not for that person, for me. My sin's a big deal. And I'm not saying that there aren't awful things and situations that happen to us. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, as Christians, we look to our own hearts first. Because the answer often is our own sin. The second reason Jonah finds himself at rock bottom, and and some people don't like this. Some people don't like this because it's not popular in our culture's view of God. But the second reason why Jonah was at rock bottom is because God put him there. He put himself there because of his own sin, and God put him there. As well. It's evident in his prayer. Jonah recognized the, Lord hand, the Lord's hand upon his descent. We've, we've looked at the text. It says God hurled a storm at Jonah. God made the lots fall on Jonah to show that he was to be blamed. He appointed the fish to save Jonah. Jonah admits God's part in his descent. He says, for you cast me into the deep. All your waves and your billows passed over me, he says in verse 3. Jonah comes to the realization in his prayer when he is at the end of himself. He has hit rock bottom because of his own sin and the stern mercy of God. And like I say, this this is not a popular picture of God in our culture. And I'm talking Christian culture. This this picture that we paint of God is that, you know, he's all love, he's for you, he's all about you. And those things are true. Those things are beautifully true. He is love. He is for you. And he is attentive to you beyond what you can comprehend. But the full story is not that those things lead to sunshine and rainbows all the time. And you can do whatever you want. And God's mercy is just always over you. No. In God's love, it means sometimes he needs to bring us low. 
like he does to Jonah. And I can tell you because I've been there and I'm sure that many of you, if you've walked with Christ, you've experienced it yourself, you've been there. When God brings you low, that is about the most painful spot that you can be and yet the most grace-filled situation that you can find yourself in. That's the reality of it. It is the most painful and yet grace-filled situation when God brings you low. Timothy Keller says, Countless Christians can attest to the same experience as Jonah. It's only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. Jonah had some severe character flaws that God needed to rid him of in order for him to be truly used by God. And so yes, it was Jonah's sin that brought him low, but Romans 8.28, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. And so it was also God's stern mercy that brought him low because he loved him enough not to leave him the way that, they, that he was. And the only way, the only way to raise him up to what God needed him to be was to first bring him low, to get him to a place where all that was left was to remember, even in the lowest of lows, in the depths of distress, if he calls out to God, he will respond. But you'll notice that I said, if he calls out to God. Because as I spoke at the start, there were two criminals next to Jesus being crucified. Both were brought to the end of themselves. Both were brought extremely low. Just like Jonah. And at the lowest, the one criminal still railed. And still denied God. And died in rebellion. While the other turned to God, pleading with Jesus for mercy. You see, it wasn't only that Jonah was brought low that starts to change Jonah's heart. It wasn't just the criminal being nailed to the cross that starts to change his heart. God brought them to that point so that he could change them. But it wasn't just being brought low that would change their heart. Lots of people are brought low by God and they don't change. And they go to their grave hating God. The catalyst was that when they were brought low, they remembered God and they cried out to him. It was prayer. It was acknowledgement of the Lord when they hit rock bottom. It was acknowledging God and pleading with him. That's what really changed them. God, I've got nowhere else to go. I've got nobody else to turn to. I need you. God brought them to where they needed to be. But then in their brokenness, they still had a choice to make. Cry out to God or rail against him. I tell you what the sweetest and most grace-filled and amazing thing about verse 2 and verse 7, the most heart-changing words in all of Jonah's prayer are, He answered me. 
My voice came to you. You heard me. Those are amazing, grace-filled words from Jonah. Jonah, listen, Jonah was running from the presence of the Lord. He was in rebellion. He was doing everything that he could to get away from God. And even in that situation, he called out to the Lord and it says, you heard me. Like, oh my goodness, this morning, like no matter what we're in the midst of, what we're going through, can that not give you hope? If you don't know Jesus, you're in the midst of a rebellion, you think you're too far from God, you think there's no chance, you call out to Him, He will hear you. If you're a Christian, you're in the midst of rebellion, you're in the midst of sin, you've been running from God, you think, oh my goodness, I've gone too far, like even the grace of Christ can't follow me, I thought I was following God, but I'm not anymore, I'm too far gone. No, look at Jonah. He heard me. He answered me. My prayer went into his temple, his holy temple. You know what's in the holy temple of God? The mercy seat. These words reveal the king that we worship. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This is our God. Merciful. Abounding in steadfast love. Cry out to him in your distress. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to know that you won't come to know God's grace to the depths that we need to know it during the high points of our lives. God's mercy is as much there. God's grace is as much there. But it's during the high points of our lives we usually take advantage of it. We usually ignore it. We come to know God's grace in a real and sustaining way in the valleys when we cry out to him and he answers us. I just wonder how many of us can relate to Jonah here. I think most of us, probably all of us, I can relate to Jonah here. I was in the depths of rebellion when I finally cried out to the Lord and he saved me. Maybe you're here this morning and and you don't know Jesus. Scripture says that that we don't have, if we don't have faith and we don't have trust in Christ, we're rebellious enemies of God. That it's only through Christ our sins are forgiven and our relationship with God is restored. Maybe you're here and you have faith in Christ. And like Jonah, you've just been running from the presence of the Lord. 
You know, running from God doesn't need to be as dramatic as Jonah. It can be ignoring God's call the way that Jonah did. It can be failing to abide by a command of Jesus. What we have to realize is that when we are running from God, we're not running with no destination in mind. Like Jonah wasn't just running from God without a destination in mind. He was running from God to go to Tarshish. Whenever we're running from God, we're not just running from, we're running to something else. You need to understand, there's no holding pattern in Christianity. It's not like, I've achieved this level and now I'm just, woo! Everything's good. There's no holding pattern in Christianity. We are either drawing nearer to God or running away from him. Every decision we make is a step in one direction or the other. So my hope this morning is that if you're in a season of rebellion, that you'll do what Jonah did. Cry out to the Lord in your distress. Ask for mercy. He will hear you. He will respond. If if your heart is genuinely repentant, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you desire to know him, if you're just sick of walking in rebellion, call out to the Lord. He will hear you. If you're here and you're in a a beautiful season right now, like everything is just amazing, remember this for when things are a bit more difficult. Because one of the realities of fallen people is we have really short memories. And often I'll go through a really difficult time and it will take me way too long to call out to the Lord in distress. If we can just remember that. I want to leave you with Psalm 40. Just the first two verses. This was my, um, when I first came to faith, these words just stuck in my heart because it described my situation so much. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the merry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that when your people cry out to you, you hear them. That our prayers, that the deepest needs of our heart are heard by you. And God, thank you for this picture in Jonah that even in rebellion, even when we've been running, your mercy covers us when we turn and we remember you. Father, I pray for those here who are in a season of rebellion, who've been running from you. Lord, I pray this morning that they would feel your mercy, that they would know how real your mercy is for them. 
and that they would turn and they would remember you and they would cry out to you, God, and that you would restore them. Father, I pray for those here that don't know you, who are walking in rebellion, who have not recognized Christ as Lord, have not believed. I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts, open their ears, open their eyes to know that this is true, and that they would cry out to you for mercy, knowing that it is available to them because Jesus died on the cross for them. Father, I thank you that in your love, a part of that is your stern mercy. Just like a loving father, a mother to their child, there are times when you have to rebuke us, redirect us, discipline us, and I thank you, love, Lord, for that love. May we, like Jonah, remember you in our distress and call out to you and know that your grace and your mercy is there. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.